Welcome to the Intelligent Investing Podcast, where modern portfolio theory can suck it. A student of the school of Graham and Doddsville and a clergy member of the Church of Warren Buffett, here's your host, Eric Schlein. All right, we are recording. Hi, this is Eric Schlein. You are listening to the Intelligent Investing Podcast, and today we have on Malcolm Inglesby and Ladislaw Zici. Did I get your guys' names is right? Is yes, that how you pronounce it? All right, perfect. That's a, those are some tough names. Uh, well, we have Malcolm and Ladislaw on the show, uh, and they want to talk about a company called XL Media. They're uh, private investors, and they also run a blog, uh, which is called Quantrarian Research. Quantrarian Research, and highly recommend everyone check it out and we'll put that in the show notes as well. So, Malcolm and Ladislaw, welcome to the show. Thanks for having, Thanks for having us here. Yeah, my pleasure. So, tell us about this company. Uh, well, you know, just give us a little bit of background. So, do you? It's, it is a microcap stock. Do you look at a lot of microcap companies in general, or where, where do you guys typically focus? Yeah. So, usually, um, you know, we're sort of you know value biased investors, and you know, we tend to look at traditional you know microcap stocks in the value space, but we also like to look at you know growth at a reasonable price. Um, you know either a combination of those two or, or separated, but traditionally we're, we're, we're constantly running, you know, screens in the microcap space, either for, you know, distressed value type opportunities or, you know, trying to buy growth companies at, at, you know, a reasonable price. Sure. And do you find there's more mispricing the smaller you go? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 That's yeah. definitely one of the main drivers behind, you know, kind of our, our investing philosophy. Right. So, so this company XL Media, how, how tiny is this business? It's pretty small. It trades at um, 42.5 million British pounds, okay. which is about uh, 55 million dollar uh, US dollars. Um, it's basically and, it's, and, it's listed. Oh, sorry. Yeah, where where is it listed? I'm just going to ask you. So basically, the most liquid listing is on the London Stock Exchange under the ticker um, XLM, and they do have an OTC listing in the US. Um, I'm not quite sure what the what the ticker is for that, but it's a lot less liquid. Um, so you know, we didn't really cover that that particular yeah. ticker. Is it is it um the main um market or is it the alternative investment market? Do you know? It's in the main market, LSC. It is okay. Okay, yeah. got it. All right, cool. So tell us about this business. So basically, XL Media PLC is a leading digital publishing and affiliate marketing company. So if you're familiar with um, a website like CNET, you know they publish a lot of editorials, yeah. product reviews basically rankings of ongoing deals, et cetera. Um, they have basically a massive portfolio of companies like that. They own over 2,000 websites, um, primarily in the gambling and personal finance sectors, which not a lot of affiliate marketing businesses do. And so basically the company right now is facing and a just lot for, of- Just for the listeners, tell people what affiliate marketing is, because a lot of people are not going to know what that means. Absolutely. So affiliate marketing is basically- um, creating some sort of channel between businesses and, you know, interested users. So for example, um, you know, creating a website where, you know, you have reviews of particular products or rankings of particular products, say, you know, best tablets or best gadgets in 2020. And then, you know, if a user clicks on one of those products and it brings them to Apple or Android and they purchase one of those products, um, you know, the company that owns the website generally has a revenue sharing agreement with the seller of the product. And, you know, they can get up to as much as 50% on 
um, you know, the product sale, depending on the industry and the product. Yeah. And okay. Go, go and so, on. Sure, sure. So basically, you know, this company has struggled a lot recently. They're facing three major headwinds. The first being um, regulatory regulatory issues in, in Europe, because primarily, you know, their their main business segment is gambling assets in Europe. So basically, you know, kind of back to that note of affiliate marketing, um, their websites basically promote, you know, gambling websites, online casinos, things of that nature, sports betting websites. Um, and essentially, you know, they're posting, you know, ongoing deals. So, um, for example, if you want to, you know, get signed up on a online casino, you know, if you click on one of these links, they'll basically, you know, the casino company will either match you up to $100 on your first bet, or they'll give you other sort of special deals like that. So a lot of their websites are sort of tailored to ongoing deals like that. And primarily in, in um, the European markets, and, you know, a lot of websites in Denmark, Scandinavia, um, and in those countries at the moment, you know, they're facing a lot of regulatory problems. Um, you know, previously sw countries like Sweden, you know, they had, you know, government run, um, ga uh, gambling services. And, you know, as of now, those are sort of opening up more to private businesses. And so there's sort of changes like this occurring in the regulatory environment across all of Europe. And, you know, that major shift has, you know, created unstable economics for, for all gambling companies. So as a result of that, the company has been you know, suffering dramatically um, just because, you know, clients of theirs are, you know, coming in and out of play, et cetera. It's very volatile. On top of that, you know, recently um, the company, the company um, had a delisting problem with Google. So basically a lot of, a lot of the business's strength comes from the fact that, you know, they're very, they're very good at, you know, maintaining strong search engine um, rankings. Um, on search engines like Google, and you know they run into problems when you know maybe their websites don't meet the terms and conditions of of those search engines. So you know the prior management of the business didn't keep very good track of their websites, and you know a lot of them it turned out violated the terms and conditions of Google um, because they promoted certain um, certain aspects of gambling or or you know. Maybe they didn't meet the current dates, um, terms and conditions. So by association, all of the websites, major gambling websites, um, were taken down from Google's, from their prior, you know, very high search rankings, which previously were very, very strong. You know, if you searched, um, you know, online casinos in Sweden or something like that, it would be like one of the first hits on Google. So that was a pretty big impediment as well. And then well, the third a, one. I mean, that's, hold on, hold on a second. That's, that's a huge impediment. I mean... That's that's their business, right? I mean, that that is a that is a rookie mistake to do something like that. You know, if I was running the business, I'd probably make that rookie mistake. But these are guys that this is their industry. So what's 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 I mean, does that trouble does that trouble you that they, they made that mistake? I mean, that's a that's a big mistake to make. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Right? It's and, a very costly mistake. Um, they estimate that this delisting is going to cost them about uh, one million to two million dollars per month on their tier one, tier two websites, and then three to three to five million dollars on their tier four, uh, tier three, and tier four websites. But, but like, and think about. It. I mean, this is their industry, right? So it's like, yeah, yeah. Dude, like, I mean, it would it would be like if um, I don't know uh, if 
if an airplane make if, if Delta decided that all their airplanes were going to be out of compliance with the rules and regulations of how to build an airplane, like they wouldn't that would never even happen because you're not going to invest all that money in an airplane. I mean, it's your industry. So how, how did they not the know? Pro- like the that problem was the standard. Is, like they're, they're, they had over 2,400 websites and the management was just focused in, focused in this quantity game. And they just let it just led them to trouble. Like they had 104 of their 2,400 websites uh, delisted manually by Google, and uh, most of them were legacy websites. But a few of them were like their tier, one of some of their tier assets. And that's why like there is like this potential big decline in revenue, and this is like has hurt significantly the stock price. Yeah, but even that's probably but anyway. Go ahead, go ahead. But e- e- that's the thing, like um. So this new management was brought in. Um, okay. This one, the I think it was the chief marketing officer of Rakuten, a Japanese e-commerce company, came and he's now the CEO. And they brought uh, other qualified management. And their new strategy okay. is, you know what? There's no point in having 2,400 websites if most of them make very little money to no money. Um, the fact is, 50% of the revenue comes from just 20% of their web uh, from 20 websites, their top 20 websites. So they were like, you know what? Let's just focus on quality. Let's just, uh, you know, use like use our strong proprietary like um, AI that they've developed in order to increase engagement in their uh, websites on these top tier assets, and then just kind of like you know sell or deactivate these like essentially low like like tiny websites that they have that are not really important. So they could at least comply with you know Google. And um, they've also made already. They already talked to Google. They they think that um, they've been, they had several conversations with Google and consultants, and they think they're going to get relisted at least okay. at tier one, tier two sites uh, by the second half of this year. But yeah, you're right. It it was a major uh, yeah. Like it was a major mistake. The bright side is rookie, we rookie mistake. It was rookie mistake. But the bright side is, you know, the, the stock price took a massive hit and it allows investors now to, you know, swallow up this amazing asset. Because the fact is, like, it's currently trading at 56% its last year's free cash flow. Like, Jesus. Um, okay. Yeah. So, like, and, and the thing you realize is um, this business, uh, the gross margins are really high because if you just think about it, you're just making a website. And effectively, then you, as long as you have strong user engagement, your your like marginal cost per unit is like nearly zero. Yeah, uh, yeah. And it's, the a, I mean, it's a great business if you can if you can expand yeah. it. Well, I mean, I'm I'm just curious. What what's the um, you you said that uh, fifty what was it fifty what percent yield free cash flow? Six hundred fifty-five percent free cash flow. Okay, so that, was, so that was off last year's cash flow, right? Yeah. So I assume this year is gonna be lower just because of all the the shit that happened, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's definitely going to be lower. Going, it, do you do you guys see this just like a temporary blip in free cash flow? Like, if you look, say, two years out, do you think it gets back to those levels, or like, what's what's your thesis on that? So we built like different model, like three different scenarios on how we 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 could potentially see this this company going. So back, uh, let's backtrack a little. This company, sure. like, um, in this past decade, it grew like seven hundred fifty percent, and. Uh, they, they used to have like two other business segments that were significant and they divested them because they were low margin uh, segments. Mm-hmm. And even with all of that, you know, last year they had revenues of, you know, $80 million and uh, like uh, EBITDA, uh, just EBITDA of like $33 million. Um, so it's phenomenal. And even we, 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 yeah. we assumed, we assumed, you know, that uh, next year, in our worst case scenario, we assumed that, you know, next year revenues drop 60%. And then, you know, they recover slightly in 2021. So, in 2021, we have revenues still at like 50% of 2019s, 
And we did our, we built our model, like a worst case assumption like that. So basically think of like having half the size of the company and it growing 5% every year, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, half the, the rate that online gambling is expected to grow. I want gambling expected to grow 11.5% each year. So we're making all these pessimistic assumptions and we still come out with an exit uh, with a, like about a rough market cap of 20, in 2023 of 125% upside and playing 125% upside, just using a four times EV to EBITDA multiple. Got it. Uh, in 2023, and yeah. Now, are they are they using free cash flow to buy back any stock at these levels? Traditionally, they've they've issued like very large dividends. They've usually returned, um, you know, cash to shareholders in that way. Um, and last year, they actually bought back quite a bit of stock. But as of now, both their dividend and buyback programs are halted just because of all the problems that are going on. Um, which we think is probably you know a benefit. They're going to be able to retain some cash and deploy it into a few. Uh, opportunities that we think could be major growth catalysts um you know the first being the u.s sports gambling market which as of now you know since they're primarily you know primarily their assets are located in scandinavia um they should be a great way for them to sort of diversify into more um you know developed markets and higher growth markets yeah the you know they've actually obtained you know a gambling um a gambling publishing license in pennsylvania and they're you know they've opened a, uh, an office in new york and, you know, they have a very, very strong growth trajectory and, you know, they've proven that they can sort of replicate their business model across different verticals. So we're pretty excited about that. And I think that, you know, back to your point about buybacks and dividends, I think that, you know, redeploying cash into acquisitions instead of returning shareholders um, cash in a more traditional way, you know, should be a very positive development. Yeah, interesting. How'd you guys find this? Came up in a screener. Uh, we were basically okay. screening for growth companies in the microcap space with, um, you know, very small um, enterprise values relative to their market caps. So, you know, most of the companies were, you know, very cheap companies, cash-heavy balance sheets, but they had, you know, five, ten-year growth rates that were very appealing. And you yeah. know, the majority of them are facing, you know, short-term uh, impediments for whatever reason. So. This is one of the most interesting companies that we found on that screen. I think, business. Yeah. I think the, 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 the thing um, to add is that they currently have at least, you know, they report uh, twice a year, uh, every six months. And at least so at least by December, they had twenty seven million dollars in cash and no debt effectively. And mind you, this company, I think fifty uh, five million dollar market cap. And so right. like it was, you know, potentially like it was previously high growing. It has big margins. And so even if the business doesn't like even if it's it's reduced its size, like it still is highly cash generative, and they still have a, a strong balance sheet to either buy back shares, do acquisitions, or yeah, or one of those two things. No, it, it makes sense. It's, it's it's a simple thesis. It's interesting. Uh, what what did you, what do you guys use as, as uh, your screener? What do you what do you like for screening tools? We use Guru Focus for the most part, which I think is run on uh, Morningstar data. Okay. And you you guys pay for that? Yeah, it's a paid service. You can use it for free, but I think you don't get access to. Yeah, there's not there's not much on the the free thing. Yeah, cool. cool. Well, um, anything else about the business that uh, you think is worth worth sharing about? I mean, it's it's a pretty simple idea. It's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I th- I think that that's kind of you know our favorite part about this company is or about this opportunity in general is that you know it's a pretty straightforward um opportunity where you know even in a worst case scenario you're able to um make a significant amount of money in our in our uh opinion 
Yeah. Well, interesting, guys. Um, you guys are welcome on, by the way, anytime you'd like. I think you do some really great write-ups. And anytime you want to talk about any interesting, uh, especially interesting microcap company that you find, you, you're always welcome and invited back onto the show. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for having us. Pleasure being here. Absolutely. Well, take care, guys, and I wish you guys the best of luck. Bye-bye. All right. See you, guys. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Intelligent Investing Podcast with Eric Schlein. If you'd like to connect with Eric for questions, comments, feedback, ideas, or to inquire about being on the show, please contact Eric at intelligentinvesting at gmail.com. So, in the words of Charlie Munger, I have nothing to add.